Chapter Six of the Bronze Eagle by Baroness Orksey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Crime. Victor de Marmont had spent that same night in wearisome agitation. His mortification and disappointment would not allow him to rest he had brought his squad of cavalry up as far as st priest which lies a little off the main road about halfway between lyons and the scene of de marmont's late discomfiture here he and his men had spent the night only to make a fresh start early the next morning back for grenoble seeing that monsieur le comte d'artois with thirty or forty thousand troops was even now at lyons when an hour after leaving st priest the little troop came upon a solitary horseman riding a heavy carriage-horse with a postilion's bridle de marmont at first had no other thought save that of malicious pleasure at recognizing the man whom just now he hated more cordially than any other man in the world monsieur de st genis for indeed it was he was peremptorily challenged and questioned and his wrath and impotent attempts at arrogance greatly delighted de marmont to make oneself actively unpleasant to a rival is apt to be a very pleasurable sensation victor had an exceedingly disagreeable half-hour to avenge and to declare st genis a prisoner of war to order his removal to grenoble pending the emperor's pleasure to command him to be silent when he desired to speak was so much soothing balsam spread upon the wounds which his own pride had suffered at Brestelow last sunday eve it was not until a casual remark from the sergeant under his command caused him to notice the bulging pockets of st genis's coat that victor thought to give the order to search the prisoner the latter entered a vigorous protest he fought and he threatened he promised de marmont the hangman's rope and his men terrible reprisals but of course he was fighting a losing battle he was alone against five and twenty his first attempt at getting hold of the pistols in his belt was met with a threat of summary execution he was dragged out of the saddle his arms were forced behind his back while rough hands turned out the precious contents of his coat pockets all that he could do was to curse fate which had brought these pirates on his way and his own short-sightedness and impatience in not waiting for the armed patrol which undoubtedly would have been sent out to him from lyons in response to monsieur le comte de cambray's request 
now he had the deadly chagrin and bitter disappointment of seeing the money which he had wrested from clifford last night at the price of so much humiliation transferred to the pockets of a real thief and spoliator who would either keep it for himself or what in the enthusiastic royalist's eyes would be even worse place it at the service of the corsican usurper he could hardly believe in the reality of his ill luck so appalling was it in one moment he saw all the hopes of which he had dreamed last night fly beyond recall he had lost crystal more effectually more completely than he had ever done before if the englishman ever spoke of what had occurred last night if crystal ever knew that he had been fool enough to lose the treasure which had been in his possession for a few hours her contempt would crush the love which she had for him nor would the comte de cambray ever relent de marmont's triumph too was hard to bear his clumsy irony was terribly galling would monsieur le marquis de st genis care to continue his journey to lyons now would he not prefer to go to grenoble st genis bit his tongue with the determination to remain silent monsieur de st genis is free to go whither he chooses the permission was not even welcome maurice would as lief be taken prisoner and dragged back to grenoble as face crystal with the story of his failure quite mechanically he remounted and pulled his horse to one side while de marmont ordered his little squad to form once more and after the brief word of command and a final sarcastic farewell galloped off up the road back toward lyons at the head of his men not waiting to see if st genis came his way too or not the latter with wearied aching eyes gazed after the fast disappearing troop until they became a mere speck on the long straight road and the distant morning mist finally swallowed them up then he too turned his horse's head in the same direction back toward lyons once more and allowing the reins to hang loosely in his hand and letting his horse pick its own slow way along the road he gave himself over to the gloominess of his own thoughts he too had some difficulty in entering the town monsieur le duc de orleans cousin of the king had just arrived to support monsieur le comte de artois and together these two royal princes had framed and posted up a proclamation to the brave lyonese of the national guard the whole city was in a turmoil for monsieur le duc de orleans who was nothing if not practical had at once declared that there was not the slightest chance of a successful defence of lyons and that by far the best thing to do would be to withdraw the troops while they were still loyal monsieur le comte d'artois protested at any rate 
he wouldn't do anything so drastic till after the arrival of marshal macdonald to whom he had sent an urgent courier the day before enjoining him to come to lyons without delay in the meantime he and his royal cousin did all they could to kindle or at any rate to keep up the loyalty of the troops but defection was already in the air here and there the men had been seen to throw their white cockades into the mud and more than one cry of viva l'empereur had risen even while monsieur himself was reviewing the national guard on the place bellecour the bridge of la guillotiere was stoutly barricaded but as st genis waded out in the open road while his name was being taken to the officer in command he saw crowds of people standing or walking up and down on the opposite bank of the river they were waiting for the emperor the news of whose approach was filling the townspeople with glee heart-sick and wretched st genis after several hours of weary waiting did ultimately obtain permission to enter the city by the ferry on the south side of the city once inside lyons he had no difficulty in ascertaining where such a distinguished gentleman as monsieur le comte de cambray had put up for the night and he promptly made his way to the hotel bourbon his mind at this stage still a complete blank as to how he would explain his discomfiture to the comte and to crystal in the present state of monsieur le comte de artois difficulties the money would have been thrice welcome and st genis felt the load of failure weighing thrice as heavily on his soul and dreaded the reproaches mute or outspoken which he knew awaited him if only he could have thought of something something plausible and not too inglorious there was of course the possibility that he had failed to come upon the track of the thieves at all but then he had no business to come back so soon and he didn't want to come back only that there was always the likelihood of the englishman speaking of what had occurred not necessarily with evil intent but some words of his if within a week i hear that the king of france has not received this money i will proclaim you a liar and a thief rang unpleasantly in st genis's ears the young man's mind i repeat was at this point still a blank as to what explanation he would give to the comte de cambray of his own miserable failure he was returning after an ardent promise to overtake the thief and to force him to give up the money without apparently having made any effort in that direction or having made the effort failing signally and ignominiously a foolish and unheroic position in either case to tell the whole unvarnished truth his interview with clifford and his thoughtlessness in wandering along the road all alone laden with twenty-five million francs not waiting for the arrival of 
monsieur le comte de artois patrol was unthinkable then what st genis determined not to tell the truth found it a difficult task to concoct a story that would be plausible and at the same time redound to his credit his disappointment was so bitter now his hopes of winning crystal and glory had been so bright that he found it quite impossible to go back to the hard facts of life to his own poverty and the unattainableness of crystal de cambray without making a great effort to win back what victor de marmont had just wrested from him through the whirl of his thoughts too there was a vague sense of resentment against clifford coupled with an equally vague sense of fear he maurice might easily keep silent over the transaction of last night but clifford might not feel inclined to do so he would want to know sooner or later what had become of the money had he not uttered a threat which made maurice's cheeks even now flush with wrath and shame certain words and gestures of the englishman had stood out before maurice's mind in a way that had stirred up those latent jealousies which always lurk in the heart of an unsuccessful wooer clifford had been generous blind to his own interests ready to sacrifice what recognition he had earned he had spared his assailant and agreed to an unworthy subterfuge and st genesis tormented brain began to wonder why he had done all this was it for love of crystal de cambray st genis would not allow himself to answer that question for he felt that if he did he would hate that hard-fisted englishman more thoroughly than he had ever hated any man before not excepting de marmont de marmont was an evil and vile traitor who never could cross crystal's path of life again but not so the englishman who had planned to serve her and who would have succeeded so magnificently but for his maurice's interference if this explanation of clifford's strangely magnanimous conduct was the true one then indeed st genis felt that he would have everything to fear from him for indeed it was so very unlikely that the englishman was throughout acting in collusion with victor de marmont who was known to be his friend was it so very unlikely that seeing himself unmasked he had found a sure and rapid way of allowing the money to pass through st genis's hands into those of de marmont and at the same time hopelessly humiliating and discrediting his rival in the affections of mademoiselle de cambray that the suggestion of handing the money over to him had come originally from maurice de st genis himself the young man did not trouble himself to remember the more he thought this new explanation of past events over the more plausible did it seem and the more likely of acceptance by monsieur le comte de cambray and by crystal 
and st genis at last saw his way to appearing before them not only zealous but heroic even if unfortunate and it was with a much lightened heart that he finally drew rein outside the hotel bourbon monsieur le comte de cambray it seems was staying at the hotel for a few days so the proprietor informed monsieur de st genis monsieur le comte had gone out but madame la duchesse d'agen was upstairs with mademoiselle de cambray with somewhat uncertain step st genis followed the obsequious proprietor who had insisted on conducting monsieur le marquis to the ladies apartments himself they occupied a suite of rooms on the first floor and after a timid knock at the door it was opened by jean from within and maurice found himself in the presence of crystal and of the duchess and obliged at once to enter upon the explanation which with their first cry of surprise they already asked of him well exclaimed crystal eagerly what news of the money murmured maurice vaguely who above all things was anxious to gain time yes the king's money rejoined the girl with slight impatience have you tracked the thieves do you know where they are is there any hope of catching them none i am afraid he replied firmly crystal gave a cry of bitter disappointment and reproach then maurice she exclaimed almost involuntarily why are you here and madame la duchesse folding her mittened hands before her seemed mutely to be asking the same question but did you come upon the thieves at all continued crystal with eager volubility where did they go to for the night you must have come on some traces of their passage oh she added vehemently you ought not to have deserted your post like this what could i do he murmured i was all alone against so many you said that you would get on the track of the thieves she urged and father told you that he would speak with monsieur le comte de artois as soon as possible monsieur has promised that an armed patrol would be sent out to you and would be on the lookout for you on the road an armed patrol would be no use i came back on purpose to stop one being sent but why in heaven's name exclaimed the duchess because a troop of deserters with that traitor victor de marmont is scouring the road and we know that said crystal we were stopped by them last night after you left us they were after the money for the usurper who had sent them and i thanked god that twenty-five millions had enriched a common thief rather than the corsican brigand surely maurice said the duchess with her usual tartness you were not fool enough to allow the king's money to fall into that abominable de marmont's hands how could i help it now exclaimed the young man as if driven to the extremity of despair the whole thing was a huge plot beyond one man's power to cope with i tracked the thieves 
he continued with vehemence as eager as crystals i tracked them to a lonely hostelry off the beaten track at dead of night a den of cutthroats and conspirators i tracked the thief to his lair and forced him to give the money up to me you forced him oh how splendid cried crystal but then ah then there was the hideousness of the plot the thief feeling himself unmasked gave up his stolen booty i forced him to his knees and five wallets containing twenty-five million francs were safely in my pockets at last you forced him how splendid reiterated crystal whose glowing eyes were fixed upon maurice with all the admiration which she felt yes that money was in my pocket for the rest of the happy night but the abominable thief knew well that his friend victor de marmont was on the road with five-and-twenty armed deserters in the pay of the corsican brigand hardly had i left the hostelry and found my way back to the main road when i was surrounded assailed searched and robbed i repeat continued st genis warming to his own narrative what could i do alone against so many the thief and his hirelings i managed successfully but with the money once in my possession i could not risk staying an hour longer than i could help in that den of cutthroats but they were in league with de marmont and though i would have guarded the king's money with my life it was filched from me ere i could draw a single weapon in its defence he had sunk in a chair half exhausted with the effort of his own eloquence and now with elbows resting on his knees and head buried in his hands he looked the picture of heroic misery crystal said nothing for a while there was a deep frown of puzzlement between her eyes maurice she said resolutely at last you said just now that the thief was in collusion with his friend de marmont what did you mean by that i would rather that you guessed what i meant crystal replied maurice without looking up at her you mean that she began slowly that it was mr clifford our english friend broke in madame tartly who robbed us on the broad highway i suspected it all along you suspected it ma tante and said nothing asked the girl who obviously had not taken in the full significance of maurice's statement i said absolutely nothing replied madame decisively firstly because i did not think that i would be doing any good by putting my own surmises into my brother's head and secondly because i must confess that i thought that nice young englishman had acted poor le bon motif how could you think that ma tante ejaculated crystal hotly a good motive to rob us at dead of night he a friend of victor de marmont an adherent of the corsican englishmen are not adherents of the corsican my dear retorted madame dryly and until maurice's appearance this morning i was satisfied 
that the money would ultimately reach his majesty's own hands but we were taking the money to his majesty ourselves and victor de marmont was after it mr clifford may have known that remember my dear continued madame that these were my impressions last night maurice's account of the den of cutthroats has modified these entirely again crystal was silent the frown had darkened on her face there was a line of bitter resentment round her lips a look of contempt of hate of a desire to hurt in her eyes maurice she said abruptly at last yes i did wound that thief did i not yes in the shoulder it gave me a slight advantage he said with affected modesty i am glad and you you were able to punish him too i hope yes i punished him he was watching her very closely for inwardly he had been wondering how she had taken his news she was strangely agitated so maurice's troubled jealous heart told him her face was flushed her eyes were wet and a tiny lace handkerchief which she twisted between her fingers was nothing but a damp rag oh i hate him i hate him she murmured as with an impatient gesture she brushed the gathering tears from her eyes father had been so kind to him so were we all how could he how could he his duty i suppose said st genis magnanimously his duty she retorted scornfully to the cause which he served duty to a usurper a brigand the enemy of his country was he then paid to serve the corsican probably his being in trade buying gloves at grenoble was all a plant then i am afraid so said st genis who much against his will now was sinking ever deeper and deeper in the quagmire of lying and cowardice into which he had allowed himself to drift and he was nothing better than a spy no one not even crystal herself could have defined with what feelings she said this was it solely contempt or did a strange mixture of regret and sorrow mingle with the scorn which she felt swiftly her thoughts had flown back to that sunday evening a very few days ago when the course of her destiny was so suddenly changed once more when her marriage with a man whom she could never love was broken off when the possibilities once more rose upon the horizon of her life of a renewed existence of poverty and exile in the wake of a dispossessed king that same evening a man whom she had hardly noticed before a man neither of her own nationality nor of her own caste this same englishman clifford had entered into her life not violently or aggressively but just with a few words of intense sympathy and with a genuine offer of friendship and she somehow despite much kindness which encompassed her always had felt cheered and warmed by his words and a strange 
and sweet sense of security against hurt and sorrow had entered her heart as she listened to them and now she knew that all that was false false his sympathy false his offers of friendship his words were false his hand-grasp false treachery lurked behind that kindly look in his eyes and falsehood beneath his smile he was nothing better than a spy the sting of that thought hurt her more than she could have thought possible she had so few real friends and this one had proved a sham had she been alone she would have given way to tears but before maurice or even her aunt she was ashamed of her grief ashamed of her feelings and of her thoughts there was a great deal yet that she wished to know but somehow the words choked her when she wanted to ask further questions fortunately madame la duchesse was taking maurice thoroughly to task she asked innumerable questions and would not spare him the relation of a single detail tell us all about it from the beginning maurice she said where did you first meet the rogue and maurice weary and ashamed was forced to embark on a minute account of adventures that were lies from beginning to end he had stumbled across the wayside hostelry on a lonely bypath he had found it full of cutthroats he had stalked and waylaid their chief in his own room and forced him to give up the money by the weight of his fists it was paltry and pitiable nevertheless st genis as he warmed to his tale lost the shame of it only wrath remained with him anger that he should be forced into this despicable role through the intrigues of a rival in his heart he was already beginning to find innumerable excuses for his cowardice and his rage and hatred grew against clifford as madame's more and more persistent questions taxed his imagination almost to exhaustion when after half an hour of this wearying cross-examination madame at last granted him a respite he made a pretext of urgent business at monsieur le comte d'artois headquarters and took his leave of the ladies he waited in vain hope that the duchess's tact would induce her to leave him alone for a moment with crystal madame stuck obstinately to her chair and was blind and deaf to every hint of appeal from him whilst crystal who was singularly absorbed and had lent but a very indifferent ear to his narrative made no attempt to detain him she gave him her hand to kiss just as madame had done it lay hot and moist in his grasp crystal he continued to murmur as his lips touched her fingers i love you i worked for you it is not my fault that i failed she looked at him kindly and sympathetically through her tears and gave his hand a gentle little pressure i am sure it was not your fault she replied gently poor maurice 
it was not more than any kind friend would say under like circumstances but to a lover every little word from the beloved has a significance of its own every look from her has its hidden meaning somewhat satisfied and cheered maurice now took his final leave does monsieur le comte propose to continue his journey to paris he asked at the last oh yes crystal replied he could not stay away while he feels that his majesty may have need of him oh maurice she added suddenly forgetting her absorption her wrath against clifford her own disappointment everything in face of the awful possible calamity and turning anxious appealing eyes upon the young man you don't think do you that that abominable usurper will succeed in ousting the king once more from his throne and st genis remembering lefray and grenoble remembering what was going on in lyons at this moment the silent grumblings of the troops the defaced white cockades the cries of viva la empereur which he himself had heard as he rode through the town st genis remembering all this could only shake his head and shrug his shoulders in miserable doubt when he had gone at last crystal's thoughts veered back once more to clifford and to his treachery what abominable deceit ma tante she cried and quite against her will tears of wrath and of disappointment rose to her eyes what villainy what odious execrable treachery madame shrugged her shoulders and took up her knitting these days my dear she said with unwonted placidity the world is so full of treachery that men and women absorb it by every pore but i shall not leave it at that rejoined crystal resolutely i'll find a means of punishing that vile traitor i'll make him feel the hatred which he had so richly deserved i shall not rest till i have made him suffer as he makes me suffer now my dear my dear protested madame la duchesse not a little shocked at the girl's vehemence indeed crystal's otherwise sweet gentle yielding personality seemed completely transformed for the moment she was just a sensitive woman who had been hit and hurt and whose desire for retaliation is keener more relentless than that of a man all the soft look in her blue eyes had gone they looked dark and hard her fair curls were matted against her damp forehead indeed madame thought that for the moment all crystal's beauty had gone the sweet submissive beauty of the girl the grace of movement the shy appealing gentleness of her ways she now looked all determination resentment and above all revenge the dear child sighed the duchess over her knitting it is the english blood in her those people never know how to accept the inevitable they are always wanting to fight someone for something and never know when they are beaten end of chapter six